Well, if you would turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapters 25 and 26, um, obviously we can't read through two full chapters and still get you out of here before 2 p.m. Uh, so that's why we did produce a reading plan for you to read ahead of time. That's published on Facebook. It's on our website. It's in the Church Center app. Um, and so I know some of you have been following along. So you're prepared today because you read chapters 25 and 26. Um, but for anyone else, we are going to have some references on the screen. And there's a lot to work through. And chapters 25 and 26 of 1 Samuel are very story-like. And so we're going to be walking through kind of the historical account of what is going on in David's life. Uh, and then at the very end, we're just going to have some very simple points. But if you listen throughout the whole historical story of this, you're going to see where the Lord is working on your own lives with these lessons. Uh, so we're going to discover Saul again, David, someone named Abigail, someone named, named Nabal. And we see in this two-chapter snippet here that God has providence over his creation and circumstances and that he can be trusted. Now that word providence is uh, not frequently used and so I thought I better define it for you today. Uh, providence is the capital city in the U.S. state of Rhode Island. It's home to Brown University. That's why you don't use Wikipedia for sermons. Um, just kidding. Providence is the guy laughed at my own joke like five minutes this week in my office, so I had to put it in there. Providence is the governing power of God that oversees his creation and works out his plans for it. So you can see based on that that you can trust him because he oversees it all. He created it all and he has a plan for it. And so this means that God, the creator, doesn't just sit on high as a spectator. It means he is the most high. He is involved. He guides, he protects, and he works out his plan. And we're going to see that today in these two chapters. Um, if you were here last week or if you listened to Pastor Derek's sermon, uh, maybe the only thing you remember is that he talked about Saul using the bathroom. Uh, some of you probably got distracted and that's all you remember. But what he taught us last week from chapter 24 in 1 Samuel is that David didn't take an opportunity to kill Saul. David in his own justification and even our own uh, would have had every right to kill Saul and return evil for evil. But as believers... We're not called to match someone else's reaction. We're called to rise above them by the power of the Holy Spirit in order to honor God. And so we learned about the high road. The high road as a believer is returning good for evil. Revenge is not ours to take. And so chapter 24 ended with Saul acknowledging that David is surely going to be the king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in his hand in verse 20 of chapter 24. And now it sounds like Saul and David have kind of made peace. Stay tuned for chapter 26 because that's actually not the case. But it sounds good at the end of 24. And chapter 25 picks up with a very brief note in verse 1, you'll notice, that Samuel, the one that we studied at the beginning of 1 Samuel, Samuel now, who hasn't been mentioned for a while, has now died. But then it picks up into the story of David. And David is now all of a sudden ready to strike against a brand new adversary named Nabal. And in chapter 24, David trusted the Lord and he didn't take Saul's life, didn't take matters into his own hands, but now he is again wrestling with that idea because there's this new guy who disrespected him. 
So, if you have your Bibles open to chapter 25, in verses 1 through 9, we're going to see that David makes a reasonable request. And I'm going to be summarizing all of our reading today as we go. David and his men, you see, we find out they've been protecting livestock. There's flocks of sheep and goats, and they've even been protecting these shepherds. And if you look at verse 16, you're going to see that one of the shepherds eventually describes David and his men like they were a wall to us both day and night. They provided this security. Being a shepherd was a dangerous job, and David and his mighty men were there protecting these men. And Whose men were they? They were Nabal's men. He was rich, and he was wealthy, and he was a bad man. If you look at verses 2 and 3, we see a description of Nabal. It says he was very rich, harsh, and badly behaved. And then we know that this is a book of contrast. And if you look at his wife, Abigail, Scripture defines her as discerning and beautiful. A not great match. Nabal was a mad, crazy, mean man, and we see that from scripture. So that's the men that David was guarding. It was Nabal's men. But if we see in verse four, we find out that it's sheep shearing season. I had to practice that too, because that's a tongue twister. That time of year would be a great celebration, and it was a time of year where they would throw parties and they would reward people who have helped them succeed throughout the year with their livestock. And so here's where David's reasonable request comes in, because it was customary to invite volunteers, servants, to share in all of the wealth during this one festival. And so David says, you know what, my men helped my men helped protect, my men helped serve, and if you look at verses 7 through 9, David sends a messenger to Nabal and says, would you please include my men in, our, in your celebration? It's a reasonable request. He helped. And so he wasn't out of line. He did it honorably. He showed respect. He was caring because as a leader, he wanted his men to have great reward. And so he goes to this man. And we're going to find out in verses 10 through 13 that Nabal rejects his idea and doesn't just reject it. So verses 1 through 9 give us this reasonable request of David. But then if you go to 10 through 13, we see that David brings this request to Nabal and Nabal responds. Here's what he says. Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? Do you sense his tone here? This guy who is harsh and behaves badly doesn't just say, no, that's okay. I don't want your men to be a part of it. He says, who is David? Everybody knew David, okay? So he was not clueless. Everyone knew who David was. And he stands there and goes, who's David? Well, I'm supposed to give some guy, I have no idea who it is, all of my stuff? So not only does he say no, he disrespects David. This was a slap in the face. You see, culture back then was about honor, and Nabal just dishonored David. Has this ever happened to you? Something like this? Life is crazy. Remember, David is running from Saul for his life for 10 years. And finally, he stops and he catches his breath. And he says, I'm going to help this guy. I'm going to protect 
his sheep, his goats, his shepherds, and he does it for a whole year. And then all of a sudden, the guy slaps him in the face. Have you ever had that feeling before? I was doing something nice. I didn't think my request was out of line. And now he just dishonors you right to your face. You also notice the, shelf, the selfishness, not shellfish. He had nothing to do with the shellfish business. Um, notice the selfishness in Nabal's response. There's no generosity at all. I emphasize the word my when I read scripture, but it says my bread, my water, my meat, my shearers. It's all his. Nabal is foolish. We find out his name means foolish. And all he wants is to build this kingdom for himself, and he will not be generous. And then on top of it, he disrespects David. How do you think David responded? How would you respond? Oh, I understand, Nabal. That's fine. I'll take the disrespect. No. No, you get emotional. You get puffed up and you say, I will not stand for this. That person disrespected me. Doesn't he know I'm going to be the future king of Israel? And so David, in verse 13, look what he tells his men. Every man strap on your sword. Here he is saying, I've got all of these men and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use them. Get your swords ready. We're going to war. You can't blame him, can you? He wants to defend his honor. A culture is built around defending your honor. I certainly can't blame him because I've had those types of emotions before where I go, man, I should slap you. That's what David's doing just with 400 men with swords. You can't blame him, but it doesn't mean it's right. You see, this is where it's a really hard lesson to realize because we love our excuses. We love to justify our bad behavior. We love to feed our emotions and then other people feed them too and we go, see, you're with me on this. And suddenly we're so far away from honoring God, but we're, we feel like we have justification in why we're responding that way. The fact of the matter is, is that we serve God, not our emotions, not our actions. And David was ready in that moment to serve his flesh. And not just a little. If you jump down to verse 22, it actually tells us that David was prepared to wipe out every single man that he came into contact with who belonged to Nabal. I'm not talking like, I'm just going to go slap a few people around. I'm ready to kill everyone that I find who's connected to him. Until Abigail intervenes. You see, God uses his providence over all things, and he says, I know what I'm doing, and I put people in place that will help accomplish my purpose. And David, in that moment, was ready to kill, and then here comes this lady, discerning and beautiful, named Abigail. We're at verse 14, and we're going to find out that God's providence is displayed through Abigail's intervention. David reacts, but God intervenes. You see, Abigail gets word. Remember, Abigail is Nabal's husband. Abigail gets word about David's plan and then proceeds to rush to David. Look at verse 18. Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five seahs of parched grain and 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs. You wonder how wealthy Nabal was? All of this food was already made ready for a feast and she's starting to grab it, pile it on donkeys, and she is headed down. She is ready to go to David. Verses 23 through 20, or 31 tell us that she greets David quickly and respectfully. 
And if you have a chance, read verses 23 through 31 later, because it'll show you the whole speech that Abigail gave David, and it's beautiful. She reminds David that God can be trusted, that he doesn't need to take matters into his own hands because that's going to cause regret. That's going to leave a blood stain on his hands. She uses logic and emotion. She actually uses the word sling involved in that speech, which of course you know that has a connotation to David that should remind him of how God provided victory to him through a simple sling and a stone with Goliath. And so everything about it, God is using to draw David back to reality, to lower him from his emotional high so that he makes sound decisions that are honoring to God. You see, the battle truly belongs to God. And he is using Abigail to remind David that he is over and above all things and worthy to be praised. During her speech, she respectfully greets David, but she also points out her husband's error. She tells David not to listen to her husband. She actually describes him as a worthless fellow. She tells us that his name means fool, and he lives up to every bit of that. Just because this is in scripture doesn't mean we can talk about people that way. She was wrong in talking to David about her husband that way. But we know that while we could argue about the way she's going about it, talking about her husband, she was loyal to God in this plan. She submitted to God and she was used by him to protect the Lord's anointed David from sinning. And so she reminds David of God's providence. Verses 26 through 31 basically are summarized this way. You've been saved before, David, and you didn't have to lift a finger. Do the same now. Don't get blood on your hands. Let God do the work that he has promised to do because you are his anointed king. Let him do all of the work for you because he's promised to do that. It's such a simple reminder, but you know what? In those moments where we are on this emotional high, we've just been disrespected or we don't understand what's going on and we're prepared to strap on our swords with 400 people behind us and we could go justify that behavior, we need someone to bring us down from that. We can't go forward and dishonor God and feed into our emotions. We have to put it before the Lord and trust him and trust his providence. And that's exactly what God did through Abigail to keep David from sinning. And what we see in verses 32 through 35 is David listens. He listens to God's reminder. He doesn't continue with his emotions. He backs down and he does not pursue this man. Look at what it says in those verses. It says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to me. Let's pause there for a minute. Have you ever had someone stop you in the middle of your emotions and go, are you honoring God? Does that help your emotions or not? Like, let's be real. Or do you want to now slap that person? Because look at you on your high horse spiritually, right? We have those emotions. We don't talk about them a lot, but we have those. Someone's right there going, don't do that. You're not honoring God. And we're just, oh, I just told 400 guys to get their swords. But we see David's response because he has a heart for God's work. He says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to me. 
Blessed be your discretion, for as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had been there would had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. So what he's saying is, Abigail, if you weren't here, things would have been really different. And I would have been the future king of Israel with blood on my hands who dishonored God because I gave into my emotions. And so he's thanking her. He's praising the Lord because God uses who he needs, when he needs, to guide who he intends. And do you notice God's timing? We see a few different times that Abigail is in a hurry. It says that she made haste. That is not a type of bread, even though right after that it says she brought 200 loaves. Made haste is she went quickly. She hurried off her donkey when she got there in front of David. She was in a rush, and David says, had it not been because you hurried to meet me, things would have been different. God's timing is perfect. And so as we apply this to our lives, how many times have you been frustrated because of timing? We use it all the time. You hit that red light and you're irritated because I know I have to be to that location 15 seconds sooner, whatever, right? Put it into context. But we complain about the timing of that. That could have been God's providence keeping you from harm. Maybe today there's going to be an extra conversation right as you're going to step out the door of the service. That could be God's intervention to connect you with someone that needs your love or maybe you need their love. Or maybe like someone was telling me this week, they had such a busy work schedule that it kept them from cleaning up some brush in their their yard, but only come to find out that there was a volleyball-sized bee's nest in that brush. So had they tried to clean it up, they would have been attacked. God's providence saying, I'm keeping you busy here so that you're not over here and I'm keeping you safe. And he is above all things because he is the creator and he never abandons his creation. And so in Abigail's timing, it saved David from sinning. And we also notice God's grace because he restrained David's emotions so that he didn't act in sin. Jonathan Edwards actually says that God's work in the restraint that he exercises over a wicked world is a glorious work. God's holding the reins on the corruption of a wicked world and setting boundaries to their wickedness It's a more glorious work than his ruling the raging of the sea and setting bounds to its proud waves. In hell, God lets the wickedness of wicked spirits have the reins. So to rage without restraint. And it would be in a great measure upon earth as it is in hell did God not restrain the wickedness of the world. God is providential over everything and he restrains even the evil things so that they're not out of control so that you can navigate for his glory. He is worthy to be praised and he is trustworthy. And so what we see in those verses before the end of chapter 25 is that God used Abigail's intervention to remind David of his own providence or of God's providence and faithfulness. At the end of chapter 25, before we really shift gears into a new topic in chapter 26, we see chapter 25 is going to end not like you'd expect. Because we thought we were getting into David killing someone so someone would die. Well, chapter 25 is going to end with a death and then a wedding. You see, after Nabal's feast... It tells us that he got very drunk and then Abigail waited until the very next morning to tell him. You see, she had kept all this a secret. 
He didn't know that she had gone to talk to David's men to stop this whole thing. She, he didn't know that she had taken a bunch of the feast items to give to David as a gift. And now she tells him the next morning. He's sobered up and she tells him of the events. And if you're following along, you can look at verse 37 because upon hearing this news, here's this prideful, arrogant man who's wealthy, who realizes I just lost a bunch of stuff and I'm upset. It says his heart died within him. He had some sort of a heart attack. 10 days later in verse 38, it tells us, 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. This doesn't sound like a wonderful story, but do you see God's providence in this? God's providence is once again shown in how he handled Nabal. David did not need to seek revenge or avenge his own name or defend his honor. God handled it. Galatians 6, 7 says this, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And if you look at verse 39, David says almost the exact same thing in different words. Blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. This fool, this foolish man who dishonored God's anointed king, David didn't have to lift a finger. David didn't have to say a negative thing about that person. David didn't have to find a bunch of people to agree with him about how horrible of a fool this guy was. You know what he had to do? Trust God. He had to keep his mouth shut. He had to keep his sword in his sheath. And he had to say, I trust God has all of this figured out. I just have to honor him. And the Lord returned to Nabal, the evil, right on his own head. And he had a heart attack and died. After his death, we see in verses 39 through 42 that David marries Abigail. Beautiful and discerning, saved him from sin, newly on the market. David takes Abigail to be his wife. If you read those verses, you're going to see that David has more than one wife. There's no additional comment in Scripture in this exact location about David's polygamy, but we have to remember if we go back to God's design for marriage in Genesis, it is one man and one woman. And so while scripture doesn't tell us in this specific spot that David is wrong, we know that he is wrong in doing this. And we're actually going to see as we continue to study 1 Samuel that this idea of taking wives is actually disastrous for David's household. We know in chapter 8 of 1 Samuel that Samuel, the one who died, remember, in verse 1 of chapter 25, he warned us in chapter 8 that kings take and take and take and take whatever they want. David is taking whatever he wants, including wives, and it will be his downfall. But we're going to go past that because scripture doesn't dive into that in this exact moment. So what we see from chapters 24 and 25 is that David's impulse has gone from disrespecting Saul by cutting his robe last week, we found that, to now he wanted to respond with violence, but he was restrained. And now in chapter 26, we're going to see a picture of David who puts it all together and he trusts God. Of course, with God's providence and help, but he still does it. So let's go ahead and go into chapter 26. Don't worry, chapter 25 was the long one. Chapter 26, if you're in verse 1, we're going to see that now all of a sudden it shifts. 
David has been protected through the providence of God because of Abigail. It's kept him from sinning. And now all of a sudden, Saul is back. Saul, at the end of 24, shed some tears, and we thought it was genuine that he understood David should not be disrespected, but now Saul is back pursuing David. Chapters 24 and 26 are very similar in their storyline. Saul pursues David, and David has a chance to kill Saul. And so what we find out, if you're looking at verse 5, is David knows that Saul is pursuing him. David takes someone with him and sneaks into Saul's camp at night. David and Abishai, they find themselves in the middle of Saul's camp, in the middle of the night, and they are standing over him as he is sleeping. And what we notice is that Abishai is real excited about this opportunity. It tells us in verses 7 and 8, so David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. So he's sleeping next to his spear. It's standing vertically. And Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, listen to his excitement, God has given your enemy into your hands this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear. I won't have to strike him twice. So what's he saying? This is the most exciting opportunity that we found yet. Yes, he was going to the bathroom in a cave last week and all you did is cut his robe, but now he's sleeping. And I can't contain myself because I could take this spear and just end it right now. Do you think that that opportunity and that moment overwhelmed David for just a moment? 10 years the very same spear that scripture tells us was thrown at David at least twice is now right in the ground right there and David has a chance to end it all. Flashbacks of Goliath with Goliath's own sword cutting off Goliath's head. Now the chance for this full circle. Saul's own spear and we can end it all. But we have to remember Abishai wants to kill but David is true to something else. The opportunity looked great, but as we learned from Pastor Derek last week, just because the circumstance makes it possible for me to do a certain thing doesn't mean it's God's direct leading for me to do it. Every excuse is at David's disposal right here. There may be people right here in this place that would have said, do it. Because the blood wouldn't be on David's hands technically, right? Abishai is ready to do it for you. So wouldn't David be justified to just go, I'm going to step back and let him do it, and then it's over and I'm guiltless? Of course, but there's our excuses again. And so David says, you know what? This is not going to happen. At the risk of being called a coward warrior, at the risk of Abishai going back to all of my men and saying, he didn't finish the job. He lets his enemies live. What kind of a future king is this going to be? David stands firm on honoring God. And in verses 9 through 11, we see David's mature response. It actually says, David described it this way, do not destroy him. For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go into battle and perish. 
the Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. You see, he serves a higher power than his own emotions or his own revenge. And he puts it all down and he says, I serve God. And God has got providence over all of this. Someday Saul's going to die and it'll be God who is doing it. It doesn't need to be at my hands. What a wimp, right? No. What strength What trust in the Lord that I don't have to open my mouth, I don't have to pick up a spear, I don't have to insult, I don't have to seek revenge in any way because God stands on his throne. God is sovereign over all of these things. Have you ever been in that type of position? Not like David, but like Abishai, where someone in authority does something that you just don't like. I mean, David's a warrior, right? Abishai says, we could end this right now. That's the whole purpose of why we're warriors. And he could have looked at David and said, I am am just going to spread rumors about you. I am going to do things just nasty about you because of what you're doing here. Have you ever been in that position where maybe your impulse is automatically to criticize someone, maybe right to their face or maybe behind their back, maybe gathering a whole army of people in support of you? Does that mean that it's right? No. You don't have to open your mouth. You don't have to do those things because God is in control. And in a culture that is surrounded with complaining, we have to stand strong and trust God and promote God's glory And you might say, well, that's different because I'm holding someone accountable by complaining about them to somebody else. No, you're not. James 4.11 says, do not speak evil against one another. James 5.9 says, do not grumble against one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, encourage one another and build one another up. And David is showing us, don't lift a hand, Abishai. That is God's work, not ours. And he's actually encouraging him instead of insulting him. And Abishai never shows us that he insults David. He goes along with the leadership. David and Abishai end up taking Saul's spear and his water. They go a safe distance away. They announce to the other army, look what we have, look what we could have done. Do you understand that we could have just murdered Saul? And during this exchange of yelling from David to the other person in the army, Saul wakes up. In verses 17 through 25, Saul demonstrates humility because he wakes up and he understands the significance of what just took place. And he admits that he acted like a fool in verse 21. Notice the use of the word fool in both chapters 25 and 26. Nabal's name means fool. Saul is acting like a fool. David is surrounded by fools. And even though he's surrounded by fools, he honors God. He trusts God. He does what is honoring to the one who is control, in, who is in control. And so what do we see from Saul? The, the chapter closes with David sending a servant to return the spear to Saul. David's no dummy. He's not walking right up to Saul and handing him a spear. Saul's burned him before, so he's smart. But Saul does admit that he acted like a fool. You see, if David had killed Saul, he would have interrupted God's work for Saul's life. Do you realize that this shouting match between David and the other person in the army and then Saul back to David about the Lord's work and the Lord being the one who's in charge 
Hundreds upon hundreds of people in the army heard that testimony of the power of God. They heard that you can trust God even in circumstances where death is right in front of you. And had David just killed Saul, that would have changed the whole tone of it. Because those armies would have woken up and instead of hearing about the glory of God and the honoring God who we can trust, they would have known, okay, he just murdered our guy. We're going to attack him. And so David making a simple decision turns into glorifying God and the testimony of his work in front of hundreds of people. Because God's providence in all of these things working together to glorify himself. And we may say we can't trust that process because that person is constantly doing the wrong thing, so I have to complain about them, or I have to do something to stop them. David didn't. David didn't. The very man that was going to kill him, he could have ended it in the peace of the night, and he said, I'm not gonna. That's God's job. And so there's three things that I want you to see very briefly. Three things from these two chapters. Trust in God's process. We know from his providence that he is the creator and he owns all things and he never abandons his creation. He works his plan for it. We can trust his process. And so do you trust the process that God has chosen? Do you believe that God has control of the outcome or has he appointed you to control it? Are you responsible for your own actions or has God put you in charge of the actions of others? And the answer is no, God has not put you in charge. God has a plan. He has a process for his whole work and it involves us and we can be so thankful that we get to join in the work of God, but we need to stop being in control of it all. And David showed us what it looked like to humble yourself and trust God's process. Second thing I want you to see is that you can trust in God's providence. The definition was that he oversees his creation and works out his plan for it. We need to trust it. We need to be honorable in what we do. We need to give God the driver's seat because we know this to be true, that he is faithful, he is good, and he is victorious. You recognize that the sleep that David or that Saul was put in was actually a sleep from the Lord, it tells us. That he was in such a deep sleep because the Lord put him in a deep sleep. So the very same sleep that made Saul vulnerable with a spear right by his head was the same sleep that kept David safe. It's all in how you look at it. Are you looking at it from your narrow, incomplete view? Or are you saying that God, who sees all things and own, owns all things, is in control? You can trust his providence. And the third thing that I want you to see is that you can trust God's plan. David had many opportunities to take the matter into his own hands. Don't do that. Don't take matters into your own hands when it's God's to control. Don't just let your Bible study impact your knowledge. Let it transform your heart and let your actions follow like we see from David. You may be looking at things from your incomplete view like I mentioned, and maybe all you see is the potential outcomes that you can wrap your brain around. But you have to trust that God sees more. He sees it all and he is almighty. He is powerful. He is trustworthy. Don't just say it. 
Don't just sing it in this last song. Let it transform your actions like it did with David. Abigail was loyal to God, and he used her to keep David from sinning. David trusted in God's power and resisted attacking Nabal. David trusted in God's plan and left Saul to be dealt with by God, even though the opportunity was perfect. Abishai didn't insult, argue, or criticize David's decision. And David's dedication to God was a testimony to Saul and the other other men. You see, God has a plan. He can be trusted. Don't feed your impulses, your emotions, or your revenge. Simply trust in God's providence. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and I want to acknowledge that declaring to trust in you is a lot easier to declare than it is to flesh out. We want answers. We want to know outcomes. We want to be able to control it, not because we have to be in charge, but because there's fear attached to not knowing. And while I can admit that that is the reality, that it is difficult, the challenge for each one of us is the same. Do we fully trust you? Do we trust you in all things that no matter the circumstance, no matter the opportunity, you are worthy to be praised? There's never a moment where you're out of control, that you don't have input into a situation, that you don't control a situation. Father, I thank you for the reminder today from your word through the life of David, through the life of Abigail, that you can be trusted. May each one of us here today lay at your feet the criticism, the emotions, the things that distract us from the reality and the truth that you are God and we are not. And let us come together right now and declare your praise. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.